0: Hi, this is Mona and this is Aaliyah. You are listening to A Devil's Tale.
1: Today, we'll be covering the single deadliest attack on journalists in history. This case takes place in Mangandano, a province in the Philippines. Mangandano is located on the southern island of Mindano. This particular island has a prominent Muslim population, and they're known as Moros. It seems to be a very complex issue with roots in colonialism, but throughout history, the Moros have been resisting foreign rule from Spain, America, Japan, and Christian Filipinos. This goes back hundreds of years and continues even after the Philippines' independence from the United States in 1946. Fast forward to the 70s, the group Moro National Liberation Front forms, and they later branch out into MILF, Moro Islamic Liberation Front. MILF and the government continue to be at odds. It leads to a lot of displacement and deaths. At one point, you have the government declaring martial law, this is around the 70s. Later, the Autonomous Region in Muslim Mandano, ARMM, is created. So we have all this tense, layered history that serves the backdrop for a family with warrior lineage rising to power. Andal Ampatuan Sr. was the patriarchal figure for the Ampatuan clan. He starts his political career in the 70s. Over the years, he slowly works his way up the political ladder and works to place his sons, grandsons, and really everyone in his family in roles of power based on just the amount of his family in power, it's pretty clear that their rise isn't legitimate. For families there, it's not unusual to have personal militia, and the Ampatuans have around 2,000, if not more, people in their militia. This personal militia is actually backed by the Philippines government. They're funded and formed to protect against communist and separatist forces like MILF. but there's a lot of abuses by these forces. There have been a number of reports over the years of Ampatouan Sr. sending his personal militia to kill and threaten opposing candidates. I'm going to read an excerpt from the Human Rights Watch report, and this is just one of very many. In July 1992, more than 20 men in uniforms, armed with rifles, and allegedly commanded by Commander Barry, the head of Ampatuan, senior's militia at the time shot and killed a candidate for local government and his six-year-old child, and wounded his seven-year-old child while they slept in their home in Manganoi. The Ampatuans used these tactics to collectively gain power, They gain land, they gain commercial success, and they commit revenge killings, among other things. And a revenge killing is, you know, if someone says something bad about their family, you might die for it. The Ambatuans rule over Mangandano with an iron fist. Civilians are given the option to fall in line or die. A spokeswoman from the HRW said people are tied to trees and cut into pieces with chainsaws or buried alive. One of their stunts is to remove the skin from their feet and make victims run for their lives as they shoot at them. In 2006, under President Gloria Arroyo, these personal militias were actually legalized. So they were legal before in a way, but they were more legitimized in 2006. This fostered an allyship between the two forces, so between Gloria, the president, and the Ampatuans, who supported her presidency. Gloria and Andal Sr. had really strong ties, and it is believed that Ondal helped potentially even fabricated votes for her election. And that particular area the Ambatuan clan is from has a reputation of being able to swing elections, and some of that is believed through forgery, although it hasn't been proven. All of this unchecked power makes them untouchable. It gets to the point where people are not even running against the Amputuans, And if they do, they end up dead. That leads us to Esmel Toto Mangundatu. And he wants to run for governor against Andal Amputan's Senior's son, Amputan Jr. Toto is from the Mangundatu clan, which is another powerful family. He's from another one of these ruling families. The two families were actually allies at one point. Andal Sr. at this point has reached his max terms as governor. So he's pushing for his son to run. And the fact Toto decides to run is very much at odds with his plans. Like you'd expect, Toto was threatened by the Ampatuans, but refuses to back down, even against death threats. One observer said in regards to the Ampatuan clan, their pride was hurt. They believe they are the law, prosecutor, judge, and executioner. They think they are demigods, untouchable. Their clan really is very insulted by the fact Toto is trying to run in this race. But he's dead set on running, and the next step is he needs to file his COC, which is a certificate of candidacy, in order to run. He discusses the situation with his mom who suggests he doesn't go because she's afraid he's going to get murdered, you know, because of these death threats. And she suggests instead that he sends his pregnant wife and his female family members along with a convoy of the press. So sacrifice the women. From this vantage point, from hindsight, that's what it looks like. But their thought process was that they didn't believe the Ambituan clan would hurt women. That was their mentality. The women themselves, they were happy to do it. They wanted to be a part of social change. And they also felt safe because they were planning on going with a lot of people from the media. So they just didn't expect a political figure would want to be seen murdering women in front of the media. That brings us to the morning of November 23rd, 2009. Toto stayed home while a convoy of his wife, sisters, aunts, cousins, and journalists went to file his COC at the capitol. That's when the convoy was stopped at a checkpoint with around 100 armed men. According to Toto, at this point his wife calls him and says that Andal Jr. is there and she also texts him that Andal Jr. slaps her. What happens next is kind of hard to piece together because there's not a lot of evidence In broad daylight, the armed men began to slaughter the convoy, Toto's family, and journalists, as well as many passerbys. Later, 58 bodies were found piled up in shallow graves, dug by a backhoe, and covered with banana leaves. Based on when they were examining the bodies, it's clear that at least five of the female victims were raped, and almost all of them were shot in their genitals. Toto's wife was later found in the makeshift grave with deep hack marks around her neck. So they didn't just shoot these 58 people, they tortured them, really. Was this an isolated region? This Ambaton family, they're in charge of so much of it. They have so much political power there. So they're the officials in pretty much every single area. People who live in that area, they're used to it by now because really if they wanted your land, they would just bring their personal militia and they would take your land and what are you going to do? There were 32 journalists among the dead, which made this the deadliest attack on journalists, putting the Philippines high in the list for a global impunity index. After this massacre happens, arrests are not immediately made, because really everyone who's at the scene is connected to this family, so they're not going to make these arrests. It's not until intense pressure is put onto President Gloria Arroyo that any arrests are made. So three days later, there are a couple arrests made, but not much. And then four days after the massacre, Toto actually went through that same area where his family was murdered to file his COC. And he would eventually win the election and become the governor of Mangandano. I think because of what happened to his family. Months later, mass arrests are made of over 200 suspects. The Apatuan family claimed it was Mel who was responsible for the massacre. The other thing that happened, which was so disrespectful, was that there were videos of the mass graves being pirated and sold. So this case goes on for 10 more years, in large part because the documentation of the crime wasn't done properly, which honestly seems intentional. So the bodies weren't put in body bags, a lot of the bodies were moved, and there just wasn't a lot of evidence collected and the crime scene didn't have a lot of integrity. It isn't until December 2019, 10 years later, Judge Jocelyn Reyes serves the judgment of guilty on 57 counts of murder.
0: Who did the judge sentence? The judge
1: sentenced two of the sons to the crimes. I know Andal Sr. is still in
0: jail, but there's still elements that are ongoing. You said there were 100 armed men. I'm assuming that's part of the family's militia. What happened with the militia right now? Is it still a thing? Andal Sr. is still pulling strings from jail. So Toto is still the governor of that region.
1: He was uh, up until 2019. So you really only have about 10 years before your term is maxed out. And now I believe it's someone
0: unrelated to either family. What happened with the other president who legalized these militias? Was she held responsible at all? She wasn't held responsible. When you were doing research, if it happened that recent... Did New York Times write about or did BBC write about it? Because this will be a pretty big news. It actually made
1: international news because of this case. They were also put on that
0: global impunity list. And you said for 10 years it was a big cover up, basically. And I'm assuming things only changed because Gloria was out of the office.
1: I think it's in part because there was so much work to piece together the case there wasn't a lot of evidence. And so to persecute all of these people and then try and figure out who was involved, it was very complicated. And then there were also a lot of bodies. So just organizing all of the evidence and getting the case together, because there were 200 arrests made eventually, but going through all the cases, it just took a very long time. And they don't have sentence yet? 20 to 40 years per count of murder. So really, they're all going to be there for the rest of their life. That's the thing with this case in particular. It did get international attention. There was the Human Rights Watch paying attention to it, but it's still
0: not well known. It's not. There's just always so much going on. The Human Rights Watch is a great website to check out. Within the context of you saying about they were colonized by several countries, groups that are formed in conflict times, the intentions are good. When any group has too much power, it's bound to be problematic in the long term. And so psychologically, it doesn't just affect one generation, it affects generations.
1: During the, the 70s, there was like the Mayor Rouge, there was the Vietnam War, there was the war on communism, all those were kind of going in tandem. But the US came into Vietnam, really, there was not much of a reason. And then they did not only stay in Vietnam, they went to Cambodia, they went to Laos. And my mom says from when she was there, they actually were there to kind of see if they had oil and to see if they had natural resources for the land. When they didn't find it, they used it to test bombs. It wasn't until Obama became in office where they declassified a lot of the records. My mom's country its the most bomb country in the history of the world.
0: And of course, no one knows about it because it's a small Asian country that no one cares about out here.
1: Yeah. And then the US, so they're able to kind of go in and do all these things, but keep it undercover and then do it in the guise of like, we're fighting for their freedom and help them form democracy. But in reality, they're just there to see if they can get money, see if they can get resources. But then when, you know, you go in the U.S. school system, they don't teach you any of this on purpose. They teach you like a very
0: sanitized version of all this history. But it's also about how some place become the way they are today. There were situations that happened that made crazy people in that region, gave them a chance to dominate and create a very hostile. It's just like they
1: play off each
0: other exactly violent destructive people they find each other a lot of these groups start out i think with this mindset
1: that they're going to make positive changes
0: but i think power is humanity's biggest enemy And that's why for me personally, I'm very triggered. The minute I sense somebody too comfortable in that power position who has no humility or who has no intention to at least surround themselves with people that can check their power. If it's a colleague or a friend, I can just be like, okay, I cannot have you in my life. But if it's a politician... You know I'm going to do everything I can to never vote for that person. People surrounded by yes men. Emperors, new clothes. That story honestly made such a big impact to me as a kid. Why would they do that? I never understood. You know, I think a lot of people fall into compliancy. We model each other's behavior sometimes. Because we're social animals. There was an experiment done which was really controversial making one group of students prisoners and the other jail guards and they would give different orders to the students that are supposed to be jail guards to basically torture the prisoner students to see how far they would go and if they would ever disobey the orders. But eventually, it got so hostile to the point where the jail guard students were so into these power dynamics that some of them would carry out violent acts without the researchers saying to them, oh, you need to beat this person up today.
1: It's so weird. I think how marginalized you are does play a big role in in how you take on that power too.
0: And I do have to say as women, I do think that men somehow is a bit more connected to the violent part of not all men. But
1: there's a lot of truth to that. I think just when you understand what it's like to be oppressed, you have a different insight into it.
0: Yes and no. Even if you know the experience, it actually doesn't mean that automatically you're gonna be the ally. I think when you have certain
1: resources, then you also have that lens to look through. It makes a big difference by resources i mean like you have access to information you have access to your own self care and your own healing journey because i think if you're in the thick of it and you're really in survival mode you're not really going to pay any attention to anything but survival but i think once you you start healing yourself and trying to unlearn and relearn things then that's when that lens really makes a difference clears
0: up quite a bit that's a very very good point thank you for saying that I just wish people would stop fighting. It's just not worth it. I know. It's just so sad. Beautiful planet. So much resources. And we're so busy fighting each other. It's a miracle we're here. I think about this
1: a lot because, you know, we're getting older. But there's so many things when we were, even in our lifetime, which is not that long, that don't exist anymore. In Australia, the Great Barrier Reef is dying off. In Fiji, there's so much land that's just been turned into hotels. Um, You know, these beautiful islands, now they're just hotels. By the time we're in our 50s, 60s, what is it going to look like? What is it going to smell like? Because some days the sky is so polluted.
0: A few years ago, I came across this article. It was about the sound experimentalist. He loved nature, so he would go into this part of the States, And there was this specific part of that region where at a certain time in the year, all these birds would come because there's this river and just a lot of water resources and food resources. So all of these birds that migrate, they would pass through this region when he first found this place. He recorded it. You can hear the rivers and all these beautiful birds chirping and all of these different frequencies. Then he went back closer to a decade later. You hear birds, but it's very sparse. You can hear the rivers drying out. And the last time he went, it was practically silent. It's so sad because the vibrancy that I heard in the first sound recording was phenomenal. It's crazy because, you know, you think
1: of these things in your memory and you think you can go back to these moments and places in the future in the world we live in. You can't wait because as time goes on, a lot of these memories will only exist in your mind. They won't exist in real life at all anymore.
0: To all of our listeners, thank you for all of your support so far. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at adevilstow. Please say hi in the comment section and feel free to DM us. If you have any feedback and story requests, you can email us at adevilstow at gmail.com. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you have enjoyed all the stories so far. Thank you so much for tuning in again, and we will see you next time.